Hi, and welcome to another episode of Lead Like You Give a Damn, where I speak with leaders and leadership experts who have cracked the code on leading with authenticity, purpose, and effectiveness. Before we start, let me ask if you've seen our one-page strategic growth plan to go from chaos and heroics to repeatable, scalable growth. Go to davemckeown.com forward slash plan to access this super simple four-step system to achieve your strategic growth goals with ease without sacrificing profit, quality, or employee morale. Now on with today's show. I'm your host, Dave McKeown, and my guest today is Dr. Ken Caldwell. Ken has a PhD and an MBA. He is currently Dean of the University of Houston Victoria School of Business Administration, and he is the author of the book, Starting a Business Quick Start Guide. Listen as we talk about the evolution of entrepreneurship, the leadership changes required in a growing business, and the drawbacks to the low barriers to entry for new businesses. As always, make sure you're subscribed to get notified of each episode as it comes out. Let me know if you have any questions or comments. And as always, enjoy the show. Well, hey, Ken, thanks so much for being here with me today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am very well, Ken. Looking forward to our conversation. You have been helping entrepreneurs for over 20 years uh, launch and grow their business. What's different about starting a business today compared to 20 years ago? Well, it's a heck of a lot easier, I'll tell you that. With all of the uh, various tools and apps and uh, that sort of thing, things that used to be very costly now can be done on your phone with an app very cheaply. So I often joke with people that, you know, you can start and operate a business uh, with your phone in the local Starbucks these days. And then what about the skill set and the mindset of that's needed to get something off the ground? Has that changed? I mean, has given that the barriers to entry have decreased, are you seeing more folks enter that sphere that might not have the right mindset and skill set? Yeah. I mean, a lot more people are giving it a shot. And I think more than just, you know, people wanting to be entrepreneurs in the traditional sense, there's a sense now among younger people that everyone needs side hustles, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone needs sources of passive income. And, you know, that's become all the rage. So, you know, everyone's got some kind of a a gig going besides their regular boring W-2 job. So that has led people to uh, get into entrepreneurial ventures that might not have done it uh, before. And you're right, they might, uh, because they don't have to take as much risk to get in, uh, Mm -hmm. they might not have that same risk tolerance that, that your traditional entrepreneur had. What is it do you think that has shifted culturally that kind of led us to this place of, you know, everybody needs side hustle or everybody needs a passion project in order to be truly fulfilled? Like what's shifted for us to get there? Well, I think that uh, what what has shifted is that young people now do not trust institutions at all. Mm. So, you know, things like, you know, their institutions of higher education or their workplaces or all those things that used to be things that people sort of trusted and depended on are looked at with suspicion these days. And Mm. uh, young people really feel like they're on their own to figure out what to do. And so they've taken this sort of libertarian view that, you know, they're going to do it on their own and uh, without help and they have to figure it out themselves. And a lot of the statistics point to the fact that 
actually the majority of successful businesses are founded by people that are actually a little younger. You know, the college dropout success story is, is few and far between, but yet it's the one that gets kind of put in front of us in, in the media. I mean, do you see that? Is that true to real life in your observation? No, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, we get these stories about these so-called unicorns and that mm. sort of thing, but the average successful entrepreneur is still going to be in their mid to late thirties and it's still probably not going to be their first venture. And they're not going to tell you about the four or five that they've tried before that haven't gotten off the ground before they hit on this one. And, you know, once they do hit on one, you know, there's this tendency to become these Twitter gurus, you know, putting out sort of wise advice uh, in tweet streams. And everyone says, wow, these guys, they've got it all together. And yeah, we conveniently forget uh, that it was a real hard road to get there. And, you know, that's a point that I really try and make in my writing is that it's not easy. And it typically, you know, sure, there are outliers uh, that we read about, sort of, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerbergs or whatever, but that's not a typical story. And that's probably not what's going to happen to uh, somebody who gets into uh, startup ventures. Yeah. And, and it's funny as well, because the stories in, in the media of those young successes, I find that it's just this very interesting, there's a philosophy of getting the business off the ground that, you know, was made famous by Steve Jobs' approach, which was labeled the sort of reality distortion field that if you just say it often enough, eventually it'll happen, it'll come to life and, you know, you'll succeed. And yet we're seeing so many stories of folks who seemingly took that concept and said, hey, if I could just keep saying that this is going to come true, it will, you know, and you look at just the documentaries and biopics that are coming out around, you know, Fire Festival a couple of years ago, there's the WeWork show from Apple TV that's in the minute, there's the show about Elizabeth Holmes. And it, it sort of feels like a lot of these folks have taken that concept, but then just flirted with the gray line of ethics rather than like staying <laughs> true and, and truthful to the folks that they're serving. I absolutely have noticed that there is a sense now that you can't criticize anyone, you know, you can't give anyone anyone you know, if you give them negative feedback, then you're, you know, you're sort of crushing their dreams and you're not allowed to do that. And, you know, they, they're going to make it no matter what. And uh, I think a lot is lost when you can't take an honest look at yourself, both the good and the bad, because Mm. everyone makes mistakes and everyone makes missteps and learning from them is an important part of the maturation process. So what led you to write your book, Starting a Business Quick Start Guide? What brought you there? Well, I started to, you know, I have been working with entrepreneurs in one way or another for a long time, as you mentioned in the uh, in the intro. I started by working with students as an entrepreneurship professor. Um, and of course, at the same time, I was studying entrepreneurs because as a professor, I was doing research on them. And I was trained as a social science researcher. And so as I was sort of learning about what made entrepreneurs tick and how they thought and all that sort of thing, I really thought that gave me a unique perspective on them that perhaps other people who were in the entrepreneurial space would not necessarily uh, have. And I also, you know, had a toolkit that I could bring to bear because my PhD is actually in strategic management. And so there are all these tools of strategic management that a lot of founders do not know about. And so when I'm consulting, it's often those tools that I use. And if you read my quick start guide, it's full of these basic sort of strategic management tools that are really handy ways to help uh, entrepreneurs sort of look at either internal or external functions and help them understand their business. So it was those two things that I really felt gave me sort of a unique perspective that would not just be another book. I mean, that's obviously hundreds or thousands or whatever of books about 
starting a business. And that's, those are the ones that I felt sort of made mine, you have a unique voice. And do you find that when you talk to folks that are just getting off the grind, receptive to this notion of, you know, toolkits and processes versus, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to essentially just say, look, let me just try and sell this. Like, don't over process me right now. Like, I just got to get out there, get some customers and, and figure out how to deliver that. Like, how do you bridge that gap with somebody and say, I mean, that's, per- that's fine, but these tools might help you. Yeah, well, I think most entrepreneurs aren't going to start with a really coherent operational structure or organizational structure. But what happens then is they sort of grow haphazardly mm. and they, they reach a point where everything, you know, there's a point where they really can't grow anymore. They've reached a sort of choke point where their systems and processes and organization just isn't going to allow them to move ahead. And then they have to get structure. And, you know, I think you see the population popularity of, you know, the entrepreneurs organization system, you know, the Mm. EOS coming out of the traction book. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, uh, entrepreneurs who reach that point and, and find that they really are sort of stuck looking for a quick fix. Right. And is that what your new book is tackling, kind of that area of, of getting stuck? Or share with us a little bit about the, the new book. It's partially that. It goes into uh, three areas. And interestingly, the first part is not about the organization at all. It's about the founder. So the book itself is is preparing for growth. And again, it really is about when you're at that knee of the curve where you've gone as far as you can go with organic growth. And you're at that point where you really need to become, you need to shift from being an entrepreneurial venture to an actual business. And the first thing you really have to tackle is the founder. The founder mm-hmm. has to have the right mindset. They have to be in the right headspace and they have to be prepared mentally do the things that they're going to need to do in order to be successful. So the first section is really about all of that and goes into detail about some of these. Some of it sounds kind of woo-woo. You know, we talked about mindfulness and that sort of thing, but these things are important and uh, they've been proven scientifically the importance. So we go into that. It's first. So first the founder has to be ready. And then, yeah, we do tackle the operational structure and the organizational structure of the business. Obviously, you have to have systems and processes and procedures procedures is one uh, that you can choose. There are many, but you have to, you know, you can't be at a point where everything is going through the founder, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what often happens is the founder makes all the important decisions. The founder is not delegating. Nobody is empowered to make decisions and you really can't get anywhere with a structure like that. So we go through all that. We talk, we have a whole section on hiring, which is important as you uh, start to grow, you're going to start to onboard people quickly. You have to make sure you're doing that the right way and you're getting the right people. And so, you know, we tackle all that operational stuff in section two. And then in section three, going back to my old uh, friend, strategic planning, we talk about how you plan for growth, how you create a strategic plan, what are the ways to think about growth and how you go about it. A little bit, get into a little bit about funding, although, you know, that's not really my area of expertise, but you have to touch on it. So it really goes through that whole life cycle of how you prepare yourself and then get into a, a high growth phase for your business. So if you just go back to that first section in the the mindset shift that the founder needs to make, how does that 
play out on a day-to-day basis? Like, what are you seeing successful founders who are making this transition move towards? And maybe also, what are you seeing from those founders that aren't making that transition? What's holding them back? Well, you know, it's not easy to have a successful startup. And obviously, you give up a lot of work-life balance. Uh, You know, entrepreneurs typically don't have much of a work-life balance, you know, if they even have any life outside of their work. And then everything ends up being wrapped up in work. And you really have to step back and look at yourself and say, are you taking care of yourself the way you need to take care of yourself, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally? Are you doing the things that you need to do? And most times the answer is going to be no. So, you know, a lot of it is talking about that. But then we also talk about being a leader and how that plays out. You know, what is your leadership style? How are you interacting with your coworkers? And again, that's a big shift for most entrepreneurs who haven't necessarily been managers before, haven't worked in big companies and had a big staff, haven't necessarily gone to business school or been trained in supervisory skills. So they have to learn how to be leaders. And leading is tricky because sometimes you're leading from the front, right? Sometimes you're ahead, you're the, you know, the king on the horse leading the charge, but sometimes you're a servant leader and you're leading from the back and you're empowering your people to move ahead and you're delegating tasks and you're giving them the tools they need to succeed. So you have to know when to do one and when to do the other. And it's not easy. It's a lifetime of learning to figure it out. And sometimes I often find as well with entrepreneurs, they pay lip service to the fact that they want to make some of these shifts, but actually their ego is so wrapped up in how they show up for their business that they're just not able to make that transition, right? They just, they want to do it, but it's hard to get there. Do you notice right. that happening? Well, a hundred percent. I mean, I talk about that in the book too. Uh, if you have to give up the idea that it's your business mm-hmm. and get onto the idea that it's our business, because if you're looking around it at your coworkers and you're not thinking about them as part of the business, then it's not going to be successful. You know, yes, you may have started it, but remember, even if, at the extreme situation, if you've taken outside money, you can be replaced. Right? right. So, you know, the idea that it's your, you know, becomes sort of a, you know, a facade after a while. And, uh, you know, if you let your ego get in the way, you know, we see that happening. We go through a lot of examples in there. Like, of course, we work had to be in there and other examples of that of companies that have crashed quite quickly because of their owner's ego and not being able to make that transition. And then you got a really interesting example is the two version of Steve Jobs as Apple, right? When he first got kicked out, it was because he wasn't willing to make that transition. Then he spent his years in the wilderness, came back. I think he learned a lot whenever he was at, at Pixar and whenever he was building Next. And then when he came back, I think that he had learned and recognized, hey, this isn't just about me. I've got to build a team that's able to outlast me. You know, I, I think that in Isaacson's biography, when the first words out of Steve Jobs' mouth, when I came back to Apple, I, I knew I wanted to build something that, that outlasts me. And, and that's kind of the mindset shift we're, we're talking about about here, right? Yep, absolutely. The business should absolutely be something that uh, is a legacy that you leave not only to yourself, but to society. And uh, it's important to think of it that way. So you mentioned there that notion of sometimes you've got to be leading from the front and sometimes you've got to be leading from the back and knowing when to make those shifts and how that's a difficult thing to do. What sort of practical things can folks that are listening in take away from that? Like how do you begin to build that as a practice in how you show up? 
you know, a lot of that is going to come from how you build out your culture. And that's another thing that we really uh, get into. I don't know why I keep saying we, I wrote the book, but one of the things you learn as a manager is you always say we, you never say I. So that's a, uh, a habit that you get into. But in any case, when you're building out the culture, you have to decide what kind of culture you're going to have. And it may be more of an individualistic culture where different people are owners of different things. And it may be more of a shared culture where, you know, people are sharing decision-making and and that sort of thing. So, Mm. you know, largely it becomes a matter of that because the one thing you don't want to do is sort of shock your team. If they're expecting one thing and then you do another, you know, then they're going to be, you know, perplexed and, you know, perhaps upset. So you have to make sure you're acting in accordance with the expectations and norms of what the culture is and, what the culture is largely is going to stem from you. You know, you're going to be the one that creates it. You're going to make type of culture that you want, and then you have to act accordingly. What about then the leadership team that's around, you know, the founder or the owner, what sort of transitions or shifts do they need to make to adapt to the shift the founder or owner is making? Well, they have to make the uh, same sort of shift. They're going to be the leadership team. They have to understand that they are also going to, you know, have to get their mindset straight and shift their thinking. And if they can't do it, then of course the founder has the option to make the decision that they're not a good fit anymore for the growing uh, uh, enterprise. And um, at that point, you know, make the decision that it'd probably be best to uh, to part ways. And that is what happens with a lot of founding teams. I mean, you know, show me a startup company that has the founding team intact running the business, you know, mm. throughout its uh, growth period, you know, sort of one by one, they usually move on to, uh, to different, you know, greener pastors. So, you know, those sort of transitions are natural and they're not necessarily bad thing. Some people really enjoy the startup process and that's really where they want to be. They want to go find another startup to work on. They don't want to be part of, you know, once you start to get organizational systems and processes in place, they don't want to be part of that. They feel too constrained and uh, no longer feel like it's a good fit for them. How do you think the notion that has been popularized in our culture, I'm not sure if it's still quite as popular, but certainly through the dot-com boom in the early 2000s, maybe even through to, you know, five years ago was this notion of you got to continue to think like a startup, you got to continue to be a startup. And that sort of goes against what we're talking about here. Is there a place in growth to just say, you know, what, we're going to cap our growth, we're going to just continue to be a startup, we're not really going to put in those systems and processes. Is there validity in that? No, because as a company, if you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, you, you have to continue to grow. And the only way to grow is through the pathway that I'm uh, suggesting. Now, what you're talking about that I think is very important is, is companies have to maintain uh, the ability to be innovative. They have to maintain flexibility and they have to avoid becoming, you know, sort of stodgy and bureaucratic. And when companies do become like that, then another young startup is going to come along and beat them. And right. uh, then the whole process starts again. So, you know, that's sort of the natural order of things. But, uh, and you try to, as the founder or the leader, you try to stave that off uh, as long as possible, but some of it, you know, is just sort of the natural life cycle of a company. 
Mm. And I, you know, I often talk about how it's it's finding that balance between the innovation and creativity that you need to grow with the systems and processes that you need to scale, and that that's a hard balance because they're almost uh, pulling from opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah, hundred percent. When you have uh, KPIs and SOPs and all this stuff, that is sort of routinizing everything you do. Mm. And when you're routinizing everything you do, that's getting away from the idea, the freedom, you know, to experiment and that sort of thing. And so you have to make sure that you're trying to keep enough of one without giving people the idea they can do whatever they want, you know, at any time. So where can folks go to learn more about you, Ken, the work you do and your thoughts and perspectives on entrepreneurship and business growth? Yeah, so my website is at all one word, innovativegrowth.co, not .com. So innovativegrowth.co. And there you can find out more about me and my work and uh, how to contact me and that sort of thing. My book, uh, Starting a Business Quick Start Guide, like many books, the vast majority of my sales are on Amazon. So that's a good place to uh, to look for it. But the publisher is called Clyde Bank Media, um, and it is available there as well. So those are two great places to find me. Uh, or if you want to, you can hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn or those type of places. Um, I'm readily available there as well. Excellent. And we will make sure to link to all of those in the show notes. Ken, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your thoughts and your perspectives. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Lead Like You Give a Damn. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about me, the show, or the work that I do, you can go to davemckeown.com and I'll see you next time.